welcome to the Checkered to Green podcast with your hosts, David Maudie and Elliot Tardiff. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this, this is from Checkered to Green, the podcast all about racing as told by three lifelong racing fans and from time to time talking about the business aspects of racing, the green it takes to take the green. Welcome, everyone, to episode number 23. I am Elliot Tardiff, alongside my colleagues, David Motti and Ryan Kolpak. Gentlemen, good evening. Good evening. Good evening, sir. So it has been a warm, humid, uh, but otherwise pleasant weekend here in the Carolinas. Um, and avoiding, by and large, much of the, uh, the rain that has uh, appeared to plague uh, the northeastern states in recent days. Um, what was y'all's experience this weekend? <laughs> rain, rain. Oh, sun in Binghamton at the air show. I will take it. <laughs> Very cool. Watching the U.S. Thunderbirds and their demonstration team. The rain held off. The front that came through stayed further north. Um, thank you, Jim Tusky and Channel 9, because I think he nailed it with it and made my hopes happy and had a great air show with with my friend john my father-in-law and my father so it was a fun time and here in uh, buffalo new york we got to see both sides of the coin this weekend saturday it was just wall-to-wall rain anywhere from steady to torrential the whole day and then today, it was the other side of that coin where it was bright, sunny, and quite pleasant. So it was like, welcome to summer, I guess. Yeah, I think I got to get some goats to cut my lawn. It's getting so tall. I feel that. I believe it. Well, we've been finding yellow jacket nests in uh, our front yard, so fun times. I'll take rain uh, over yellow jackets. Yeah. Indeed. Sorry, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll take the rain and the canoe. Yes. But um, speaking of heat, the heat is on in NASCAR and Formula One, especially after this weekend's events. Um, and we've got a lot to talk about there. Um, matter of fact, let's jump right into it with, um, uh, with all of the, uh, the happenings from New Hampshire going north to new hampshire kid um <laughs> and uh see, well casco, see casco wicked fast and lift up some lobster in victory lane there <laughs> all right um the uh, the cup race actually just finished a short time ago so we're recording here on sunday evening the 18th um and they literally um got the race in right before sundown um, they actually shortened the race by about 10 laps uh, to get it in. Um, and it was um, an interesting race today, a little bit controversial um, at the beginning with uh, them trying to get the race started with um, uh, maybe some weepers still um, ongoing in turn one, also some, some rain falling in turn one as well. And um, the leaders going in, uh, Kyle Busch, and then followed by uh, Martin Truex, whom I pegged to have a, a big weekend this weekend. He was uh, running second behind Kyle Busch, and they both went into turn one. And um, 
hit a wet spot on the track and just sailed it off into the fence. And uh, behind them, Denny Hamlin spun as well. Um, and a lot of people were, uh, other people did everything they could to try and get through the corner without ending up in the same fate. So uh, there was a lengthy red flag after that. Um, and then on the other side of it, it turned into a blue oval party. Um, you had uh, the Penske duo of Brad Keselowski and Ryan Blaney uh, dueling for the lead. Kevin Harvick was up there making some noise. Um, but at the end of the day, it was an underdog, uh, somebody way outside of the, uh, the playoff conversation to this point that took home the checkered flag, the 10 car of Eric Almarola scored the win, scored the first win for Stuart Haas in 2021. And with that takes his team, which is 27th in the points coming into the weekend and punches their ticket for the playoffs um, with a, uh, a dominant run, especially in the, um, uh, the final stage of the race, starting that stage fourth, marching up to the lead on a car that had superior long run speed and holding off a spirited charge from the Toyota of Christopher Bell late in the race to take home the win. So uh, a big day for him, big day for Stuart Haas um, and um, a big recovery too by Joey Logano, another local uh, racer um, who, you know, counts Loudon as his home track. Uh, he was actually penalized two laps um, because one of his crew members worked on the car during the red flag, which is a big no-no. So he, he restarted the race two laps down to the field, made both laps up and then marched up through the field um, for the rest of the race and ended the day in fourth place. So a solid day for him. Um, Kevin Harvick finished sixth. Um, it was um, uh, Logano, excuse me, Keselowski, Logano, Blaney, Harvick, um, third through sixth. And then it was a trio of Chevrolets, uh, Kyle Larson, riding the ship after a rough outing at Atlanta last week, Ross Chastain and Alex Bowman uh, having another consistent solid finish in the top 10, bringing home ninth and Denny Hamlin recovering nicely to finish 10th. Christopher Bell also ran the Xfinity race on Saturday, uh, driving the 54 for Joe Gibbs racing and won uh, that race convincingly as well. So overall a pretty good weekend for Bell winning on Saturday and then nearly winning on Sunday. Um, but uh, at the end, just running out of time uh, and unable to catch Almarola in a race that was truncated by about 10 laps for darkness. So gentlemen, your thoughts. Well, I'll start first. I did catch the, the end of it. I missed the start. I, I had plans say with family. So I, I missed most of it. I was seeing the, I, I saw the red flag. I saw that they alert coming through and uh, but I, I'll say I, I did watch the end and it, it, it was unbelievable for Almirola I mean Stuart Haas racing this year probably could not you know find a, a win anywhere could just not find anything and in New Hampshire it came together indeed 
Uh, Ryan, your thoughts? Every accolade that Eric Almirola gets for this race is well-deserved and then some. He showed the kind of calm under pressure and driving skill that you usually only find in the most seasoned of veterans to not only work his way up to the front under the conditions, but to win that battle with Christopher Bell to hold on to take the win. That's quality driving, and they deserve to have their ticket punch for the playoffs for that performance. And go ahead, David. I, yeah, I mean, it, it was really good. And, and I mean, just, you know, just needing that. Um, I mean, it, it's a little bit tougher with Austin Dillon, who Almirola was trying to get by him. I mean, you heard over the radio in the final few laps, they say, you know, you need to get around this clown. And Austin Dillon is on the playoff bubble right behind his teammate. And in, in the past two weeks, two guys who were, at, you know, on the playoff bubble or out of it punched their ticket. And it was, I mean, it was a great race. I mean, 10 lap, I mean, ending 10 laps short maybe makes the case that I, I think maybe New Hampshire would be the next track to get lights. Um you know, that, that kind of would be neat to see with them having some um, night racing on the one mile probably would make it a little more interesting. And because I think if you had more time, I think Bell was going to run him down. I think Bell would have got him um, if it wasn't for the 10 laps, but NASCAR had to make a call. They, they knew it. They were actually smart about it. Um, without having, you know, an incident or issue occur. So uh, well handled and everything just played out right for Almirola with DiBenedetto having to pit and that was it. Yep. And um, to add a little bit of context to that, Matt DiBenedetto um, in uh, the 21 car who found out this week that he would not be returning to um to that ride in 2022, which we'll be talking about more here in, in a minute. Um, he and his team stayed out late, um, gambling on darkness, truncating the race enough to where they would be able to stay out, um, not pit when everyone else did, and thus win the race. Um, that strategy, unfortunately, didn't work for them. Um, to Almirola's benefit in particular. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, DiBenedetto and, and the, the 21 were uh, trying to gamble, much like the 10 did last week in Atlanta, um, where they were counting on uh, um, a brief rain shower uh, to bring out a caution, maybe help them out with uh, their pit strategy. Um, and uh, it didn't work out for them there. 21 uh, made a gamble here, and it didn't work out for them either. Yeah, definitely. It was a, definitely a good race. So glad, glad they were able to get it in this weekend. Indeed. And it's also worth noting as well that um, the PJ1 substance, which they have employed at New Hampshire in the past um, to foster um, more racing um, in the, the middle and top side of the corners, 
um, and that they've also employed at other tracks around the schedule around the circuit. Um, they did not employ this weekend um, owing to concerns of the weather. Um, there was a lot of rain that moved through New England, especially Saturday evening, Saturday night into uh, this morning. And so there was some concerns there. And I think also the first part of Saturday too, if memory serves, about being able to uh, put the substance down and not have um, any reactions to it with the weather and the rain and everything. Um, so they, they left the track um, au natural, um, as it were. And they ended up having a couple of really good um, races. And in particular today, there was some spirited battles for position, spirited battles for the lead, especially between Ryan Blaney and Brad Keselowski, um, and then between Keselowski and Almirola, um, and uh, Blaney and Almirola too. And then again, uh, you know, Bell was uh, trying to catch uh, Almirola and may very well have, um, but for the race ending, it was ended up being eight laps short instead of 10. Uh, so just to clarify that, as uh, per uh, NASCAR.com. So um, yeah, uh, a, a really spirited uh, race here. And, you know, with Almirola winning, it, um, it puts that much more pressure on the backside of the top 16. And in, you know, David, you talked about this, in particular, on the children's teams, the three and the eight, to win, um, in order to secure their spots in the playoffs. Um, so it's going to be an interesting few weeks on the other side of the Olympic break to see how the remainder of the regular season goes. And it's going to make Daytona mighty interesting too. And speaking of interesting, we talked about this in the last episode. We talked about uh, this weekend's Formula One race at Silverstone in Great Britain and how important that was going to be for the championship battle, for the manufacturer's battle, for everything. Um, and it certainly lived up to the hype today. So David, why don't you take away, take it away and tell us what happened at Silverstone today? Yeah, they, they were in the UK, Great Britain, what, whatever you call it, for the Pirelli British Grand Prix. And everyone was there. Um, um, I believe it was Prince William was there with, um, with Kate Middleton. Tom Cruise was there. Harrison Ford. They had a nice little chat um, during the race, um, during the red flag. But, yeah, it was a spirited battle, especially on the first lap when Verstappen was leading and they got into turn nine, the Copes turn, and it was Hamilton for Verstappen. And all of a sudden, Lewis Hamilton touches the rear wheel of, of Max Verstappen. The wheel comes off and the, the right rear wheel comes off and he goes hard into the tire barrier. They allowed Charles Leclerc to get by, and the right race was red flagged for 42 minutes, um, almost 45 minutes. Uh, it's um, they had to fix the tire barrier. They had to get the car off. Um, in the meantime, there was talk already going on. Um, Christian Horner immediately calls. Um, race director Michael Massey 
And Horner says this, every driver who has driven at this circuit knows that you do not stick a wheel up in the inside of Copes. It's a high-speed corner, just to let you guys know before I finish this statement. Um, that's an enormous accident and was 100% Max's corner. As far as I'm concerned, the full blame is on Lewis Hampton, and that was on Racer.com. And the stewards said, yes, we agree after a little um, talk with protests from Hamilton and an email from Toto Wolf, which ended him up in the trailer or race um, officials saying, hey, here's the diagram. This is how you're supposed to drive it. Um, Lewis Hamilton was slapped with a 10 second penalty for causing the crash. Um, it was an as severe, I mean, a five seconds late, a 10 second um, penalty is essentially you come into pit, you have to wait 10 seconds before you can service the car. Um, the, the worst penalty is coming in, having a 10 second penalty without servicing the car, a 10 second stop and go. So he got probably the second highest type penalty there, but with that said, Hamilton bounced back in Mercedes. Charles Leclerc had issues with the car all day engine. And at the end, um, Ferrari just didn't have anything as Lewis Hamilton came all the way back and won the race. Um, overcoming that 10-second penalty, he led the final three laps. Charles Leclerc led 49 of the laps. Uh, Valtteri Bas was third, Lando Norris fourth, Daniel Ricciardo was fifth, Carlos Sainz was sixth, Alonso seventh, Stroll eighth, Verstappen was last. However, Mer this was big for Mercedes as they could have captured the 27 and 18 points and maybe you could have captured the fastest lap. However, Red Bull decided to... Um, um, foil that plan and per, put very gummy soft tires on Perez and he nailed the fi fastest lap in the end and stole a point but since he was out of the top 10 um, Red Bull doesn't get the point but it does shake up the points big time um, Hamilton closed the gap to 8 points 185 to 177 um, we, you know, we were talking about that, how anything could change. Norris is third with 72 points behind, he's behind 72 points with 113. And Bottas is fourth in 108. Perez is fifth with 104 points. But going down to the Constructors Championship here right now, it even closes up because... Perez finished out of the top 10. Red Bull did not get any points. So, like what happened in Baku, where Mercedes didn't get any points, Red Bull didn't get any points. And now the Constructors Championship is 289 for Red Bull, Mercedes with 285. So, that's tying back up going into their couple week break. We'll talk more about the penalty later, but gentlemen, 
what a race. What a race. Especially thrilling. And I got to say one thing. Kudos to the crowd in Britain. Um, They were cheering when that bell happened. And you could hear them almost go, oh, when that crash happened. But when Max Verstappen, who had to go to the hospital, get checked out, got out of that car, they gave him a standing ovation that he was okay. So even while it was Hamilton's tra- home track, and we, we said it last week, guys, that Hamilton needed something to happen or else that was it. The, un, the the weirdest thing happened today and now we've got another heated battle so gentlemen your thoughts about the race we'll talk about the um we, we've got we, we've got some special time set aside near the end to talk about the incident and the penalty um ryan elliot which one of you want to start i'll lead off on this one go for it well, first of all, massive congratulations to Lewis Hamilton for the win at home. That was the shot in the arm desperately needed by both him and the Mercedes team. And I, I got to be honest, I felt so bad for Charles Leclerc. This, it, if it wasn't for problems beyond his control, he could have gotten the first win for Ferrari since 2019. It's it's like that poor guy, The luck has not been on his side this season. And aside from that, just an absolute edge of your seat race from wall to wall. That's that's the sort of thing is why I've been a Formula One fan for a long time. Indeed. Um, you know, and like I said, we talked about um, the need for Hamilton to bring home the win this weekend. And he did. And, you know, it came at the severe expense of Max Verstappen and, and the Red Bull team. But um, what the, the big takeaway f- from this weekend for me is we're back to zero in both battles in the Constructors Championship and the Drivers Championship. Even though um, Verstappen still has an eight-point edge over Hamilton, don't let that fool you. Um, I think that everything's back at zero again, and I think the rest of the season it is going to be on and it's going to be on at a level beyond that which we have seen to this point yes we've seen them get a little bit chippy um at other events imola comes to mind in particular on the first lap um but you know getting into you know having an incident like they did today um and then hamilton capitalizing on that um to win the race to um, to get the the points um, and eat up pretty much the, the entire deficit um, that he had against Verstappen. Um, this season is wide open again. Um, and Ryan, to your point about Leclerc and um, the, the bad luck that he had, um, he's just been snake bit in that car um, ever since he joined Ferrari. He has just, he's had bad luck, some of his making, some not. Um, and, you know, they, they've been in a position where it's been Red Bull, it's been Mercedes, and then it's been Ferrari. 
And today was as good an opportunity as he had in probably his entire career to win a race. And unfortunately it didn't happen for him. So we'll see where the rest of the, of the, uh, the season goes. And like I said, the rivalry between Hamilton and Verstappen is only going to ratchet up that much more for the rest of the season. Um, something like Elaine Prost and um, Ayrton Senna, um, the late Ayrton Senna comes to mind. Um, and some of these other teams like Ferrari, like McLaren, um, like maybe even Alpine or Aston Martin um, could stand to benefit. So Leclerc has got to keep his head down, keep trucking and take whatever breaks may come his way. Cause there may still be some more. Elliot, you made a good point about Ferrari and, and having bad luck. I mean, Ferrari hasn't had good. The last time Ferrari had good luck was in 2018 and they, they were doing well in the first half of the season. And there was a point where when they had Vettel, he was, he was doing well. He had one, you know, he had one in Montreal. He had a good showing in, in my Carlo. He had won the first couple races of the season in Melbourne and Bahrain. There was a, um, I don't know if it, I think it was, um, one of the tracks that um, I can't re- remember which one that um, that Mercedes just went out um, in the race. Actually, I do remember it was um, Austria, and and at the time Ferrari was doing well, and then Hockenheim came, and Vettel crashed in the rain, and that was it. That was it. And Hamilton won and Mercedes, Hamilton and Mercedes just went on this tear or on, on this um, butt whooping that, you know, in this dominance. So I, I don't know why they couldn't figure out the electrical issues. I don't know what's going on with Ferrari. I think they've just had too many internal issues. I mean, after, after 2018, they fired their direct, they, you know, they fired their technical director. They, you know, they, they go through change. They've had the issues with Vettel um, in that contract situation. They get Charles Leclerc in there. They had the issues with Kimi Raikkonen. I, I just don't know where it's going to, you know, where, if they're ever going to get back in that position, but um, they're, they're falling quick. Um, now they got mercy. Uh, they've, they've got uh, McLaren ahead of them. So, I mean, the constructors championship, they're fourth. Um, I mean, they're getting points, but <sighs> They're about, uh, let's say, they're probably about 15 points behind McLaren, who has who works with Mercedes, and then you got Mercedes and Rebels, so they're not even in the podium. They're just falling behind, and how you know how far does Ferrari have to fall behind? Um, but 
you know, Red Bull, I think, pulled it out. It's a very good spirited battle. And I think this is what, you know, Formula One needed this. So I'll leave it there. Indeed. And I have some thoughts and then I'd like to to have Ryan jump in on this too. But um, we need to remember that uh, Ferrari is very much in a rebuild this year. Um, 2020, Dave, as you pointed out, was um, an unmitigated disaster for them um, with, you know, problems, uh, you know, with, with drivers not performing well, Vettel in particular. Um, it, was, it was a really, really, really tough season for them um, to the point where they were, um, I think, sixth in the final constructors, man, uh, the final manufacturer standings, so that they're fourth this year and they're putting themselves in the conversation of the next tier of manufacturers after Red Bull and Mercedes, who, by the way, are separated by four points in the manufacturer's uh, championship for this thus far this year, according to the F1 uh, website, um, is an improvement for them. And it's also worth noting that the cars are going to undergo a major redesign next year. So while they've been working to reestablish some momentum going into this redesign into 2022, um, it's um, it's notable that, um, you know, they're, that, yeah, they're still, they're dealing with some growing pains and they're dealing with, you know, some, uh, some things where unlike last year, you know, they can't, they've been in a position where they can succeed this year. They have the car, they have the speed and they just need to be able to close the deal. And, um, in particular, uh, Leclerc has been in, um, a position to be able to do that at times, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, Ryan, I'd like to hear your thoughts, and then we're uh, uh, we're going to wrap this uh, segment up. Certainly, yeah, it's, I absolutely agree that Ferrari's been in a rebuilding since you know the season that shall not be mentioned by them again. But it's it's got to be demoralizing, you know, just when you get that close and just. One boneheaded thing gives you the gut punch to cost you the win. And I do hope that when the new cars come around next season, which I think is going to level the playing field once again, because then everybody's going to have to start getting used to it again, which might completely change the dynamic of Formula One. I'd like to see you know him get a little bit more success because he's, you know, soldiered on through the tribulations of team Ferrari. And, you know, I think it's, you know, he should get a reward for it in the form of a well-deserved win. Indeed. And as we saw with, um, with another team that had been heretofore snake bitten thus far this season um, with Eric Almarola and uh, the, the 10 Stewart Haas team in New Hampshire, that can certainly happen. We shall see. For now, uh, it's time to step away um, and tell you about our social media and uh, where to find us online. Um, so Ryan will tell you about that, and then we'll be back on the other side with our first Spotlight segment. This is from Checker to Green. The 
from Check It to Green podcast. We'll be right back. Enjoying what you're hearing? Join the conversation. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just look for the From Checker to Green podcast. There a segment that you enjoy? Let us know. Particular topic you'd like to cover? Tell us about it. Your feedback is what helps us drive the show and create content. And if you're enjoying this episode, find the rest of our episodes on podcast.com as well as Apple Podcasts. Again, just look for From Checker to Green podcast. Hope to hear from you soon. And now we're back with the From Checker to Green podcast. Thank you, Ryan. Our first spotlight segment of the evening of this episode um, shines a light on a series that uh, we've, I think we've talked about occasionally thus far, um, but we wanted to um, really kind of give it its due this evening and do a deeper dive on it and how they've done this here, um, both in terms of the racing and how it's being received by um, the, the motorsports viewing public at large. And that is the SRX series, the series that um, uh, uh, was put together by Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham and features a number of uh, top, motorsports names of past and present generations, in addition to um, some, uh, some well-known local uh, stars as well. And they just wrapped up uh, their sixth race season uh, this past weekend at the Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. And we wanted to talk about them a little bit and uh, how the season's gone for them and uh, if there's any broader takeaways for the rest of the motorsports community um, in any different aspect, and you know, if we can touch on any any business aspects of it, um, then let's do it. Um, but uh, let's uh, let's let's go around the horn and let's get uh, some initial thoughts. Uh, David, you want to start? So um, with the SRX series, I've I've watched some of them. I, I DVR'd all the all the races this year, and I liked. I mean, I I enjoyed it. The the races I watched so far, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a a really good series. I liked how they, you know, in with any new series usually you stick to the rules and you don't change things like i know they were going to change car you know they're going to change the color of cars for each race kind of like in irock um you know you know it was kind of equal match cars but change the car color and after the first um at stafford they decided oh we're going to keep the car colors the same and then we're going to actually improve it. We're going to put the names a little bit better. We're going to you know, get the you know, numbers better. We're going to make it look much, much better. And they improved the car. They improved the cars for the dirt races. They set them up for the dirt. Um, they, they had an issue with Bill Elliott's car the first couple of races. They, they fixed that. They had two backup cars. So if somebody got wrecked, they gave them a chance to come in. They fixed up the heat races a little bit. They fixed up the laps. So they kind of did things as they went along. 
Um, they they brought some drivers in. Tony Kanan couldn't do some races, so Haley Deegan stepped in. Um, that allowed her to get invited to Nashville. Um, you know, after her race at Slinger, I liked the tracks that they went to. So I think you know, for a series in, in its inf- infancy. They actually went ahead and adapted to things and and made improvements as they went along, which is what you need to do. And I think in the end, they had a good product. Um, And I'd be honest, um, and we could try touch base in this in a little bit, but I actually have some points for what they should do next time, some thoughts. But Ryan, what were your thoughts on the series? Full disclosure, when I first went into watching this particular series, I wasn't overly certain what to respect. I was impressed initially by some of the names that they had to offer for this because a lot of them were, you know, some of the drivers I started watching when I first got into racing, which made me a happy man. It's like, "Ah, it's good to see these guys behind the wheel again but wasn't sure how the racing quality would be. And if I was wearing a hat right now, it would be tipped in the utmost respect because being that it's early on, the performances I feel have been very strong and well executed. And I think the sky's the limit for this if it's handled properly. Indeed. Um, the, the series... I think kind of brought about um, it was in, in a lot of ways, kind of a throwback um, to a form of motorsports that may have been kind of overlooked for a little while um, in favor of um, uh, splashier tracks, faster tracks um, and more glitz and more glamor. At the end of the day, the, the fundamental grassroots of motorsports is in the short tracks, is in the bull rings. And the SRX series did a phenomenal job of tapping into that um, and tapping into that with name recognition and star power that helped to really drive it. Um, and the, the quality of the cars that they put on the track um, and the, the toughness of the cars allowed the, the driver's talents to really shine and put on um, some quality racing. Um, and yes, you know, they, they had, you know, uh, pre-scheduled caution flags to ensure that, um, you know, the, the finish would be extra exciting, but that was known going in. And y'all talked about the newness of the series um, and, you know, giving them, and because it was an exhibition series, giving them the, the flexibility and the freedoms to try things that um, any other series or sanctioning body or what have you might not otherwise have the freedom to do. And so, um, so all those things I think worked in their favor. I also think coming out of the pandemic um, and a lot of these areas that they went to um, opening up uh, their facilities to uh, larger crowds, larger capacities for the first time, um, you know, or, or at the very least, very recently, um, also 
spoke to their benefit. And so you saw that in-person excitement um, at all of these tracks. It was, it really came through um, right up, right out the gate at Stafford. Um, they had a packed house there. Um, there was a ton of excitement. Um, you know, how often do you get to see Tony Stewart and Bill Elliott and Willie T. Ribs and Helio Castroneves come to a half mile, you know, out in the, the forests of Northeastern Connecticut. It never happens. Um, and I know because I, I, you know, was a, um, uh, an intern up there for years and we would occasionally have a, a big name show up um, occasionally one at a time, but never did you have um, a, you know, a series and a, 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 a collection of big names come in all at once. And so that excitement that you saw from the, the crowd that attended, I think kind of carried over to the rest of the, um, the rest of these events and it carried over in the ratings as well. And that's another big thing that um, I wanted to touch on because you have a new series, um, you know, a, a, a network that isn't necessarily doing a lot of motorsports right now in CBS. Um, and they put it on the main network on the, you know, the main CBS network, the big stage on Saturday night. Um, and by and large, they lived up to the hype. Um, the, the ratings at Stafford were pretty solid. I think it was over 1 million. Um, and they kept that. They kept that momentum throughout the course of their, their six-race run. And that was in no small part to the quality of the broadcast. Um, you had the venerable Alan Bestwick anchoring the coverage, and he did a terrific job, as he always does. Um, and then also again, because of the newness of the series, them trying some things like talking to a driver in the middle of, uh, you know, in the middle of the race, not under caution during a green flag run. Um, so that was also, um, you know, so, so again, bringing some, some newness and some things heretofore not necessarily tried, um, at least very often anyway, that, you know, drove a lot of, enthusiasm and excitement about this and i think finally the last thing was that they knew how many events they could run be able to carry that momentum carry that excitement and call it good they had a, a six race run they finished it in grand style this past weekend at nashville fairgrounds which has been dominating the headlines here um in the last especially in recent months, as they've been trying to reestablish themselves in the broader motorsports calendar. Um, and with a lot of help from uh, some big names in the industry, like Marcus Smith, like Dale Earnhardt Jr., um, with mixed support from the local populace there. Um, an event like this, where you had so many people come out um, and there'd be so much excitement and a, a, a solid race and uh, you know, a solid race between two big names, Bill Elliott and his son, Chase and Chase prevailing at the end and winning um, the, the reigning cup series champion coming in and running this SRX series at Nashville fairgrounds and then turning around afterwards and saying, let's, let's bring the cup guys here. Let's do this. Um, it's um the net positive 
for the entire motorsports community um, was tremendous. Um, and it did a, a, a really good job of tapping into this enthusiasm, this local enthusiasm for short track racing, both asphalt and dirt. Um, and we saw some, uh, uh, you know, a fair number of sponsors on all the different cars. Um, and most notably, again, Marcus Limonis, um, you know, being a, uh, somebody that has been in the motorsports, um, uh, been involved in motorsports and very visible in it for a long time, um, jumping on board as a, as a, um, a title sponsor of the series. Um, I, I don't know how much he's, he spent on, on, uh, exposure, um, and, and sponsorship for this series, but I would have to imagine that he got his, his money's worth, his return on investment and then some. So, um, so yeah, that, those are, are just kind of my thoughts overall. I'll be curious to hear, um, your y'all's thoughts as well, but, um, but yeah, I think the, the series overall, it was a big success and, um, they ended before the enthusiasm had the potential of waning. And I think there's a lot of excitement about what it can do the, the next iteration, the next season, when that might be and who might be there. Will you see the same people? Might you see a few more join on? Um, you know, there's, there's definitely some, um, some racers out there um, with some very recognizable names that, we're not a part of this year that, um, you know, it would, a lot of people would think would probably would argue would, would, uh, serve this series well going forward if they were a part of it. Um, and I have, have my thoughts on, on who those might be, but that's, uh, that might be for uh, a separate conversation, but anyway, um, what are y'all's thoughts on, um, on the, the SRX, uh, SRX series? Well, I, I got to say, and I'll start here, Elliot, about it, is that I, you know, you touch on the point about CBS that, yeah, CBS was really good. I mean, I, you know, for the series who only showed World of Outlaws races on tape delayed in the winter um, and, and not really many auto racing um, they, you know, they really did good. I mean, they took a gamble and it paid. Um, I, I, I can see summer racing coming back to CBS. They, they need something to kind of fill in the void between football and the, the end of college basketball. And I think auto racing is going to be that thing. Um, I, I, they did a very good job. I, I will say I, I liked all the cameras they had. I liked the drone that they took that was kind of taken from the world of outlaws. And I think that was really, you know, that, that they borrowed the idea from the world of outlaws. I've seen that, um, them use a drone before. And I think that was really cool with, with, with following the cars with it um i you know i i will say i liked james hinchcliffe um being that color commentary i you know as much as danica patrick being selected to do that 
um, in the beginning. I, I think having Hinchcliffe in there was really good. Um, he he's a really good commentator. I I like that. I think I'd like to see them expand, maybe go beyond six races. Um, a conversation for another time, but I think that would be cool. Um, I do like the ideas of the local legends. Um, maybe get a local hero. I mean, if you you know expand the tracks, um, come up to Oswego. Get a race up there and throw Joe Gosick or Otto Sitterly or um, Hella Tulip or Lula Vey Jr. Sr. or Michael Barnes, one of those super modified drivers in it, you know, in, in one of those cars. You know, I add a, add a driver, you go to a track like Slinger or Stafford or you know, let's say you, you expand, you go Oswego or you go to a dirt track that runs a weekly show, put somebody in there, you know, have them go run. I, you know, I, I think Tony Stewart, um, you know, I, I, I know Ray Everham and I know we, we have our thoughts on Ray Everham, but I think, I think if it's not for Tony Stewart, I think this series doesn't take off. And I think Tony uh, helped with it. And I think Tony having a good, you know, I, I think Tony's got some creativeness in him that, mm-hmm. you know, raise the technical person, design the cars, know how to give everyone the chance. I you know, I like that perspective, but Tony's that genius, and I think Tony can really do things with the series too. Ryan, your your thoughts? Well, the potential for SRX is absolutely limitless. It really is, and as you gentlemen have both mentioned, you know, kudos to CBS for handling it as well as they did and producing it with all their technical skill because every race looked absolutely fantastic. The kind of coverage that you'd normally see at the really big blockbuster tracks, they put that effort into these races and they were all the better for it. Now, one would hope that when next season, and I'm sure after this performance, there will be a next season expansion would probably be not only expected, but I think almost inevitable because they, even after the last race at Nashville, the ratings were up. The fan participation in watching was up and the enthusiasm was there. They really could have done more races this season if they wanted, but I understand you didn't want to push it too far on a trial season, you know, just in case. Mm -hmm. But again, it leads to the intelligent management of this product and the fact that I, as you said, Dave, in the hands of Tony Stewart, it's in good hands. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. One thing that surprised me a little bit when after first couple of races, I saw that the SRX actually has their own, you know, AAA produced video game. Yeah, he came so, out with that. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That surprised me for something with a trial season. So being that I am a shameless gamer, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. Gentlemen, 
that game was fun. The driving physics is good. The car and track selection is excellent. They got right now three classes of vehicles that you can run in the game. There is expansion on the horizon. Right now, the performers are as following. You have the late models, the wingless sprints, and the arena trucks. But they're expecting to add another class or two somewhere down the line. At the, I'm currently on SRX's website, but they're not specific as to what car classes will be added later. So that's the best information I can get you right now. But as far as driving physics go, it's up there with any other physics-based driving game. It, it really handles well, and the reaction is pretty much what you'd expect from a car under those conditions. The one thing I think would make you guys happy is that besides the six tracks that they ran for the official season, there's also 45 dirt tracks available in the game to run at as well. So oh, wow. it's yeah. it's not very limited. It actually has it, a it, lot of replayability and a lot of quality. I And I think it's a mix of fancy and real tracks, which is cool because you get some cool fancy tracks. <laughs> I play... Um, I, on my phone, I play Dirt Track in two, and they they've had some real tracks, but they had these fantasy tracks, and some of these fancy tracks are just wicked awesome. Like a you know, you get a tight bull ring type of track, and you know you you play a tight bull ring fancy track, and it's like man. I want to see a, a race, you know, they need to build this track. And, you know, I, I think it's cool. I think expansion would be neat. I'd like to see them try a, um, a, you know, there's road courses that can be modified. I'd like to see them try a road course somewhere, a, a track that's got a road course under the lights, or day race at New Hampshire under a road course setting that you can go to and, and have a road course. And I'd like to see them kind of tag team where they have to switch out and put another driver in. Um, oh, that could be fun. Because you can swap yeah. the seat molds out. You know, you know, throw a little challenge in there. I, I'd like to see it, but I, I want to say one more point towards CBS. This went so well. I think CBS needs to bring back the World of Outlaws um, races live, just like what TNN used to do in the late, you know, in the 80s when they were Diamond P in the 90s into the early 2000 you know way early 2000s um when before tn um tnn kind of went kaput became spike and you know we all, all know that fun happened. stuff there in yeah but it you know i think it would be cool and i think i i like it and i think that i'm, I'm looking forward to it next year this this is what you needed, um, and um, I you know maybe expand uh, the the driver roster out a little bit, you know add a few more legends in there um, that that would like to try it, you know, I 
Heck, I like to see Carl Edwards give his hand at it. Um, you know, I name there. I'd like to see um, Lynn St. James try it. I'd like to see, um, you know, Hurley Haywood try it. You know, see you how know, guys who may have ran IROC try it. Um, Danny Sullivan. Um, you know, heck, have Mario Andre get in a car. I bet he'd love to do it. Or, or Michael. Michael. Yep. Or, or Michael. Um, I I would, you know, maybe Al Unser Jr. I, I, you can't, can't do Rick Mears. I just think um, Rick Mears with his um, foot, um, you know, he, he can't. He can't wear shoes because of his foot injury. Um, but maybe some of these open wheel guys from the 80s, like a Poncho Carter or, a, um, you know, PJ Jones, you know, Parnelli Jones's son, you know, um, you know, a couple of the USAC Bullring guys like Jeff Gordon, who used to run USAC, um, you know. I think the sky. I, I think sky's the limit, and I think they got something. They got my interest. I am right there with you, sir. And SRX, we shamelessly plugged your game on our show. You're welcome. <laughs> Indeed, and um, as as somebody who uh, partakes in the motorsports game every now and then, um, I'm gonna have to check this out too. Uh, at some point in the future. That sounds really, really yeah. cool. You will I, enjoy I, it, sir. I, I promise I, you that. I, I will have to try it on my computer eventually. Um, I probably have to talk to you, Ryan, about setups and all that to make sure my computer has enough juice for it. But yeah, I will have to try it. Yep. Um, I think one thing to think about going forward is, um, you know, in terms of anything that might have to think about that uh you know they might have to build on in order to kind of build into some of these things that we've been talking about in terms of expanding the number of drivers expanding um the number of tracks they visit maybe expanding their geography as well um is that you know this is a series where almost like um robbie gordon's uh stadium super truck series um you know it's all of the cars are, uh, you know, built and cared for in-house across all the different drivers, right? Um, and that entire convoy, um, that entire traveling circus um, goes to the track, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so that is something to think about for the coming year. And so, um, you know, do they make any improvements on the car? You know, they might. Um, and... If so, um, you know, at, at what point do you say, okay, these improvements are good. Now we've got to actually focus on building the cars and building enough of them to where, you know, we can support 15 drivers, maybe 20 drivers, um, and be able to support having a backup car, you know, more than a few backup, you know, the more driver drivers you have um, in a given race, then the greater potential you have for problems before the race and the num the thus the, the potential need 
for more backup cars in order for these drivers to make the, the grid. So there is that to think about. But um, the concept that they were going for with this worked. That's the big thing. Um, you know, we've seen it's, it's the first time that we've seen a series, you know, any series just spring up from nothing, really. Um, you know, just an idea that Tony Stewart and Ray Evernham had. And, you know, they hired the right people, put it together, brought in the right drivers. And, you know, they, they went and, and, you know, they, they put on these races and it worked really, really well. So like y'all said, um, the future is bright for this series. Um, they did a really good job of knowing what worked for them and making changes to things that weren't working so that they were working. The challenge next year is building on that and keeping the same enthusiasm that they had this season. So here's hoping because it serves um, a, it's, it's proven that it serves um, a vital part, I think, in the motorsports community. And here's hoping to see it again and do a lot of good things in the future. So um, we'll uh, kind of send it around the horn one more time here and then uh, we're going to uh, uh, wrap up this segment. Ryan, your quick thoughts, and then I'll finish up my thought. I'll just wrap with, quite simply, I'm very much looking forward to the future of SRX. They have shown that the concept is as sound as anyone can ask for in an inaugural season, and the future is very, very bright and very excited to see where it goes. I, I have to say the same thing. The future is bright for it. We'll see where next year takes us and looking forward to, to what creative ideas they can come up with. But with that said, gentlemen, we need to take a break. We've got a message from our sponsor. And then when we come back, we have actually a little surprise for you. This is From Checker to Green. We'll be right back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Are you looking to improve your business identity? Consider Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics has the knowledge and resources to make your business stand head and shoulders above your competitors. From logo design, business cards, letterheads, as well as advertising options such as postcards, flyers, labels, posters, anything you need to get your business name out to your customers. For more information, contact Samurai Graphics at samuraigraphics716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now we're back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Welcome back, race fans. And normally we would um, do a um, our green segment after this break. Well, Racing's kind of given me on hold for a couple weeks due to the Olympics. So what we decided to do tonight was a little expanded spotlight segment. We decided to split our spotlight up into a couple parts. So the first part 
we talked about the SRX, but um, Elliot touched on it a little bit earlier in the beginning about Matt DiBenedetto, but a lot of news came out this week, and we touched a little bit on our um, last week's episode about Ganassi selling track house and what free agency would be and speculation. Well, we got a little more clearer picture this week. And it all started on July 14th last week. Um, last week, Wednesday, when it came out that Hendrick was going to extend Kyle Larson's contract through 2023. And then on top of it, the next day, we got, we got blindsided with quite a bit of news. And it came out really quick, really fast. And it started with um, the first news that came out. Um, Kelly Crandall, and looking at the times of these stories on July 15th, came out and said... At 9.12 a.m., she posted a story on Racer.com, Austin, Austin Sindrick to replace Keslowski and Penske's number two next season. And then about 10 minutes later, actually nine minutes later, this story came out from her Harrison Byrne. It says Byrne set for Wood Brothers Ford, which means Harrison Byrne is moving up into the cup next year, which means Brad Keselowski is out of the two at the end of the year, and Matt DiBenedetto is out of the 21 for the Wood Brothers. Matt DiBenedetto was very emotional from what I've understood with what happened. Um, It was unexpected. It was... Um, you know, you kind of knew it was going to be a year by year thing, but with the way last season went, um, and then him struggling this year, and the way that um, Harrison Byrne has, um, you know, Byrne being with Gibbs in the Xfinity series, um, and Ty Gibbs probably coming up more likely next year into that and Kyle Bush um, saying he's done in the Xfinity series. Um, you know, it's it, it just kind of a lot of speculation started to turn into, yeah, this is what's going to happen. Um, it will kind of go around the horn on it it will kind of figure out where people are going to wind up. But a lot of big news. Um, I'm not sure which one uh, One of you guys want to start off with your thoughts on it, and then we'll go around the horn and come back with me on it. But Elliot, Ryan, let's kind of talk about it. What? Tell me your your reaction to it, and then I'll tell you mine. Well, I'll take a stab at this first. Honestly, I'm a little surprised. I got to be honest. As honestly, with the way the season has been going, I wasn't sure if anybody was really, you know, clear cut, you know, to 
being the free agency. A lot of speculation, obviously. But at the end of the day, really can't be all that surprised because, you know, it's the, the top performers are the ones most secure. Anybody from the middle of the, middle of the road back, those are the ones that are always the uncertain ones. So you got to figure anybody in that range, you know, could possibly be finding themselves a new home after the next season, especially the ones near the end of their contracts. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, and I think the, the news that came out this week with, um, you know, basically confirming that Keselowski is moving on to somebody else, um, you know, widely reported to be uh, Roush Fenway racing in a, um, an ownership deal with them. And Austin Sindrick was going to be stepping in to the two um, instead of the 21. Um, I think that was a bit of a, a surprise. Uh, but then also to hear that Harrison Burton is going to be moving from the Gibbs operation and Toyota to the Ford camp um, and drive for the manufacturer that uh, his father, Jeff Burton, um, started his career with and, you know, cut his teeth, won a bunch of races for, in particular, for the, uh, um, for Roush Racing back in the, the mid, late 90s um, and did really, really well with them before moving on to other teams. Um, and I'm reminded of something that Tony Stewart said about the driver development pipeline of the different manufacturers um, some time ago, some months ago. And I think we may have talked about it here where he said that um, Ford seems to be a little bit more diligent and a little bit more um, aggressive in moving um, promising young talent into, um, into open seats and into top tier um, race, uh, uh, race teams and, and race cars. And certainly that appears to have happened here to the point where they're taking somebody from Toyota and they're putting them in a top level Ford operation in the form of the Wood Brothers and the 21 car. So, um, and their explanation for that being that with uh, NASCAR, in addition to Formula One, having a major redesign of their race cars in 2022, it fits um, their time, it fits their train of thought to have a new and young driver in that seat because everybody's going to be starting over. So why not start with a young driver that can learn this car and build their notes on this car and not have their perspective impacted by a cup car of a previous generation. So that was their train of thought. It was also worth noting that they said, um, the Wood Brothers said that they were going to be very patient um, with, um, with Harrison Burton and Ford was too. I'll confess I don't have a, um, a, a citation for that in front of me, but that was something I did hear um, in the... Um, in the racing media this week. So that was news. Um, and Matt Benedetto, um, you know, being a fan favorite that he is, um, and in part for, you know, his, his honesty, good, bad, and ugly, um, 
he's once again on the outside looking in. And um, I think I noticed on Jay Ski earlier this evening that um, he doesn't have any plans yet for 2022. Um, and, you know, he, he released a, um, a video on his Facebook page that was very raw and very honest um, about how he felt, how he, uh, why he thought um, he was being let go, what led to that. Um, and what his expectations were for the rest of the season. And will that help him or hurt him in his, um, in his search for another seat to drive in next year? Time will tell. But, um, you know, the, the cure-all for any driver um, is winning. And, it, you know, we talked about this before with Alex Bowman uh, in particular. Uh, you know, he was one of these drivers that was that had a, a contract expiring this year, and there was some discussion about what was going to happen to him. He turns around, wins a couple of races, and um, is one of the the main players in Hendrick Motorsports' success in the the first part of 2021, and he's rewarded with a two-year extension per Jayski. So that cures everything. Um, Eric Almirola is uh, another one with a contract then ending this year. Um, and, you know, the, the win today probably changes that calculus quite a bit. Um, so there again, winning cures all. And it's just about getting that checkered flag. Um, and that giving you that much more leverage about staying with the team that you want us to, to, to be with um, or moving on to a team that you want to be with too. I, you know, you had a good point, Elliot, with, with the new car coming in the next gen car. And I'm looking at Jay ski here and, you know, it, it's, it's you know, what came out this past week. With, with the changes um, gives, I'm not surprised that Harrison Byrne is not, you know, wasn't going to be back with them. Um, knowing that Ty Gibbs is, um, has won a few races for them in the Xfinity. They're probably going to want, you know, get him going. It's, um, but the thing with DiBenedetto, I mean, we, we, we know that, you know, it's rumored that Keselowski's going to go to Roush, and the speculation is more that's where it's going because Roush has an announcement this week that they're going to have. They've always said that they're going to have a presser with an announcement. But looking at Jayski and the status, I mean, thinking, you know, Ganassi sold his operations – um, 23XI next year wants a second team. Colleague Racing has two charters and will have a third driver with AJ Allmendinger, but that's a partial schedule. Um, but that could be a, you know, with, with a third team potentially, um, you know, you might have an opening in Colleague. You may have an opening in 23XI. Um, Trackhouse, 
who knows if Trackhouse is going to run three? Where's Chastain going to go? Where does Kurt Busch go? Um, Junior Motorsports has been talking about, do we go up to Cup? Do we not? You know, uh, Kelly Earnhardt, you know, has been really giving thoughts about it. It's, you know, it's starting to open up that I think Debaudetto, and actually I think this would be good for him because I I think, you know, looking at Dale Jr. and and being very honest would be is if Debaudetto could not, cannot, cannot land a ride this next year, I think it would be wise for Junior Mo Sports to come and scoop him up in the Xfinity series and help get him back. Um, that might be a, a possibility. You know, Kali could be a possibility for DiBenedetto. Um, I mean, there's going to be an open in, in, in Penske with Cendric. So who knows? Maybe, D, you know, maybe Penske come. Maybe the Wood Brothers, you know, come out, you know, maybe Penske says, hey, you know, Matt, um, I, I, you know, I know we've got an opening here. Could you help us out a little? And maybe we can try to, you know, find you a cup ride or, or somebody with a, you know, with a blue oval for some races just to try to get you in. But I you know I think it's going to be very interesting, and I'm waiting to see what else comes out this week. Um, it's it's going to be very very interesting to see how the ball starts to roll on this on this stuff. But um, I I mean, like we said last week, it's going to be a lot of speculation where we think people are going to land. But we know that the picture is starting to get a little more clearer. And it'll probably be more clear this week unless Roush comes out and throws a curveball and says, um, we're going with someone else. But that also means what is Ryan Newman going to do? Um, it, his contract expires at the end. So does... Ryan Newman say, um, I'm going to go, you know, I may retire and maybe go into small track racing. Um, Ryan Newman this week was up at Bentley Warren's place in Maine. So who knows (laughs) what they talked about. The other thing is, um, Ryan Priest could be out. Ryan Priest just won at New Hampshire. So, you know, maybe something opens up there. But, I, gentlemen, I think we could all be in agreement here that I think there's going to still be a lot more speculation, and that's what it's going to end up being for a while. Indeed. Um, the um, There's still a lot of fog out there, um, even though in – you know, a couple of instances, it's, you know, kind of cleared up a little bit, um, but it hasn't completely yet. And so um, there's still some major, major question marks um, to fill in for the rest of the year. 
um, or to fill in for this coming season. Um, you touched on Ryan Priest, David. Um, you know, the fact that his team doesn't even have a charter and there was some, um, I think I recall reading some, some speculation that they may not even run all the races this year. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, certainly a, a challenging headwind or a challenging, um, you know, is, is a, a challenge in terms of putting something together for 2022 and cup. Now, as you pointed out, um, he won a thriller of a modified race this weekend in New Hampshire. Um, and we know that he continues to run that quite actively and has won a truck race. So he can get the job done somewhere. Um, additionally, it's worth noting, and uh, the, the guys on Door Bumper Clear have talked about this, that um, if you're not necessarily getting the level of, ex of level of success that you thought you were going to at Cup, and have an opportunity in the Xfinity series, in the truck series, um, to where you can win races um, that may better serve you um, in the coming season. And then for the rest of your career going forward, John Hunter Nemechek in particular is a great example of that. Um, having um, done well maybe a little better than people thought he was going to do um, in, you know, a team with limited funding. Um, but then when the time came to, to choose where, what he was going to do next, he signed on with a truck team with Kyle Busch Motorsports and has taken that team, which had struggled in recent years, back to victory lane often this year. And, um, in so doing has kind of um, uh, reinvigorated his career, his name, his visibility in the industry. And so that's something to think about for, um, for some of these drivers that are looking for options in cup, but may not be finding any right now. So that's, that's another thing to think about. And then, um, you know, for drivers like, um, Orion Priest, they're going to find something to drive regardless. And so um, uh, we'll see him on the track somewhere. That's for sure. Well, certainly. So I, um, one of the other things we wanted to do um, this week with, you know, normally we'd have our green segment is We'd have a, a few minutes for final thoughts. And gentlemen, um, I'd say, you know, the, the whole NASCAR free agency, we know it's going to pop up in, in episodes later on. So we would talk a little more about it. But gentlemen, how about we um, have an extended final thoughts tonight and let's talk about the formula one race again and what happened and the the collision between hamilton and verstappen yeah uh because that was um you know obviously the the headline of this race and probably the headline of the season thus far um because you had two drivers that um were pushing it to the absolute limit and they they step beyond it today and max verstappen in particular paid a very very big price for it and thankfully 
um, by all accounts, um, his health uh, was not a part of that price, thankfully. Um, but his car, on the other hand, um, is not going to be, they're, they're just going to have to build a new one, I think, because yeah. that one is was completely used up. So, um, Go ahead, David. So I, I, I'm going to throw a question out there. And it's going to be, it's probably going to be discussion for all of it. And we'll go around the horn on this is was the Hamilton penalty just, was it right? Was it um, not right? Was it a racing incident? Was it aggressiveness? Was it not, you know, was it for Stappen's fault? Um, what do we go, um, you know, try to answer those questions and we'll start with you, Elliot, on this. Try to answer those questions. Give me your thoughts of that, you know, regarding that. Well, your questions were, um, was it um, the was aggression? It was it uh, Verstappen's fault? Was it Hamilton's fault? Um, and, and was the penalty correct? Was the penalty correct? Um, well, I think the answer is that um, um, the incident and everything and what occurred after that, I think it, it was the sum of all those things together. Um, and I think with that in mind, um, you know, short of disqualifying Hamilton outright, um, which wasn't going to happen. Um, I think the answer to all those questions was yes. Um, and is yes, because yeah, you had uh, two drivers that have, you know, that are locked in a, a very tough rivalry and a very tough battle um, across a lot of races just thus far this season. Um, and, you know, we're not even halfway through July yet, uh, you know, well, halfway through July now, but you get the idea. Um, and, you know, their season ends in December. Um, and you've got one driver in particular in Hamilton um, and a team in Mercedes who I think is showing a little bit of desperation uh, to stay in the, 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 the title hunt, driver and manufacturer. So I, and we've seen them, be aggressive with each other um, thus far this season. Like I talked about before, Imola, you know, in particular, where, um, you know, they, they uh, rub tires at the beginning. Um, and, you know, I think Hamilton's car was damaged a little bit um, as a result of that. Um, you know, that was incidental contact. Um, and, you know, there was no action on that taken by the stewards. They investigated it, but they didn't do anything about it. Now, it's interesting with that in mind, um, how such incidents since then with other drivers have been handled, in particular um, the last race, the Red Bull ring, where they were handing out five-second penalties left and right for drivers that were forced off the racetrack um, in you know, what would otherwise be considered hard racing. So um, today, though, you had um, you know, Verstappen, who you know, arguably was... Um, you know, pretty aggressive uh, down the, the preceding straightaway, um, you know, blocking Hamilton down to the inside, 
um, and then appearing to kind of come back up a little bit. Um, so in my mind, not necessarily holding his lane, right? Um, and then both of them going into a high-speed corner um, and neither of them giving an inch because of the implications of who was going to come out of that final lap first and what that was going to mean for the rest of the race. Um, and you had, at the end of the day, two cars going for the same real estate. And um, it ended with Verstappen um, in a high-speed collision with uh, the, the retaining wall. And uh, Hamilton going on and, and you know, uh, you know, himself almost wrecking as well. Um, when you look at the replay, you see Hamilton come three quarters of the way across the racetrack after that contact. Um, so does that mean he overdrove the corner completely or um, was his car upset by that contact to the point where um, he, he was out of control and for a brief second and had to catch it and in so doing carried himself way up across the racetrack. That's, um, I think, a question that may need to be addressed here in the coming days. They were talking, they were going to, I guess, talk with uh, Hamilton after the, the race the stewards were. So um, so that'll be interesting to see. But um, the answer to your question is, um, you know, all things put together, yes, on all of them. Okay. Uh, Ryan, your thoughts? Well, I'd like to get state my credentials just so, you know, all is on the clear. Yes, I am a Hamilton fan. Never claimed otherwise. Been cheering for him since I first started watching him race. Now, as you and I discussed earlier, Dave, I've watched this replay a good 20 times. Primarily because I wanted to see it from as many angles as they have and get as much information as I could so I could you know, be able to state my opinion here and not just come off as a Hamilton fanboy. That being said, I don't think the penalty was warranted. This is my reasoning. One, I don't think anything that happened in that collision was malicious on either side. Now, I agree. Verstappen was doing some aggressive blocks to maintain his spot. However, on the flip side of that coin, Hamilton was taking some pretty aggressive moves to try to pass. And at that corner, I won't try to argue because I watched the replay enough times. Hamilton was higher up in the corner than he really should have been. Don't argue it. The facts are the facts. And I think it was just a matter of really bad timing that Verstappen was trying to hard block him again. And Hamilton was too far up. And I just don't think that Verstappen realized he was as far as he was. Because he, I, to me, it looked like he came over to block him in. And on that move, he hit Hamilton's front tire, which spun him out. And quite frankly, I really thought Hamilton was going to go right along with him. I feel it was nothing but a combination of driving skill and blind luck that he wasn't in that wreck as well. So now, Dave, did I answer all the questions? 
I I believe you did. I, Just making I definitely sure. Definitely believe you did, and uh, you know, you know, we're we're all going to have our our points of view on it. I mean, this is what our final thoughts are. Um, you know, we we all have our views. Um, I I will say, you know, in, in it is that it, it could go either way. I thought it was. I I could see it going either way. Um. I think Damon Hill made a very good point talking about it when the replay was occurring under the red flag that, um, you know, you know, you saw the aggressiveness um, with, with Hamilton. He, he was pretty aggressive and that he did, you know, he did come up a couple times to Verstappen. And, and, and kind of bump him a little. Like, he did, like, they, they kind of touched a little on a couple of the straightaways and that. And I, I think, you know, here's, here's how I would say, here's how I say it's just, and I'm going to give an argument to say where it's not just. One, I'd say where it's just is because of what happened in Austria. I think they, you know, I think the stewards are going to call a little bit more safety's important and the wheel came off and for Stampin went to the hospital. So I think I can see with what happened and watching the replays, I say, okay, yes, that's just, it's a justified penalty. The 10 second, I think is a fair penalty. Um, I know the reports afterwards, there's some going back and forth, you know, racer.com, Chris Mellon's got a whole stuff going saying, you know, for Stappen's all, you know, calling Hamilton this, there was talk that, you know, they say, you know, people want to say Hamilton should be suspended or race. Um, Hamilton says, I'm gonna, you know, message for Sappen, but I have nothing to apologize for. Total Wolf saying one thing. Um, it's, I mean, I I can see where it's for, and I think the penalty's fair, just looking and seeing what happened. Now, if they would have both crashed, um, or if Hamilton would have spun out and kept going, um, and there was no and I didn't, you know, and a penalty was not given. I could see okay racing incident. I think if you would have came lower in the corner, yeah, probably not. If they would have not touched on the straightaway, I think it goes as a racing incident. But is what it is. Um, safety is the most important in any type of situation. And when you have a rear wheel come off a car at that high speed, especially an open wheel car when it spins, um, I think definitely raises some concern. Now, I think if if I was the director of Formula One, I would call for Stappen and Hamilton together and say, guys. Put your differences aside. Talk to each other. 
accept each other's apology and go on. But it's, you know, you know that won't happen. Who knows what will come out? Um, But I will say the smart move will be for Red Bull not to fall into a trap and get into this type of aggression war with with Mercedes because it's just going to look bad. And, you know, Verstappen wants to move on, and I think that's, that's the smart move. But, yeah, it's really, I mean, it, I, I see it going, I could have saw it going either way. Um, I think it was fair. Um, it just worked out in Hamilton's favor at the end today. But, you know, when, when they told Lewis about it, um, he acknowledged, okay. And I think if it wasn't for Christian Horner going to the official right away, um, and, and raising a stink about it, and and total wolf emailing, I you know, I maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it ends up being a five second penalty instead. Um, maybe it ends up being a warning, you know. But Hamilton was very careful for the rest of the race, and I I think he took it to heart. You know, person deep down, he took it to heart when he got that penalty. He may say different things, but I, you know, he asked, "Is is Max okay?" So you kind of knew he took it personally. Um, but he's got to play up the rivalry too. So we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think they'll agree that they're not going to. Um crash cars like this and risk getting each other hurt oh yeah um but at the same time does that mean i think that um you know it's it's going to be you know room and respect going forward the rest of the season absolutely not um i think that you know we talked about this before with the um red bulls point advantage both driver and manufacturer being essentially erased um it's, you know, it's, it's a full on sprint now. Um, and the elbows are going to get a little sharper. I think the racing is going to be, you know, fairly aggressive, fairly, um, uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's going to be fairly aggressive. There's probably going to be some, uh, clanking of wheels, uh, going forward. Um, you know, and that's kind of what we've come to expect from them thus far. And I think, um, you're going to probably see both teams working the officials, working the stewards um, and kind of building and adding on to the, the drama uh, that was building into today. And it's only, you know, continued to amplify that much more and touching on that, what that means from uh, the kind of the business side of things from the business side of formula one, especially here in the United States, um, where F1 is trying to build their following, build their their market, um, you know, and already having 
uh, a fairly successful season thus far, according to Sports Media Watch. Um, they said that the uh, Austrian Grand Prix, uh, and this was this was an article authored a week ago um, by uh, an author named Paulson, um, that they had a good weekend. They had a 0 0.6 rating and 980,000 viewers on ESPN, um, which was a 30% increase in viewership from this race last year. Um, so they're, they're making some, po some positive progress here. And with, I think the, um, the realization now of probably a rivalry that's going to be on par with, like I said before, uh, Alain Prost and Ayrton Senna or Michael Schumacher versus basically everybody in the uh, late 90s and, and early 2000s. Um, uh, I mean, heck, you can even throw uh, Lauda and uh, James Hunt in there, uh, even though they were, you know, good friends off the track. They had a spirited rivalry um, during that season in the, in the, the mid-70s. So um, I think the same thing is, is going to happen here. And I think done right, um, it will serve to benefit uh, Formula One and what they're trying to do, in particular in the United States, and, and build interest here. Um, and this is going to be, I think, kind of a throwback to you know some of those mega rivalries that dominated the sports headlines in decades past. Um, Ryan, what do you think about that? Well, I believe nothing enlivens up a sport like a good rivalry. And I think that Formula One, it'd be foolish to say that they do anything otherwise. It's all but free marketing for them because it's basically happening without them having to influence it. And that can be used to generate interest like, hey, these two guys going head to head again in another track and another track, so on and so forth. Oh, yes, this will be used to great effect for Formula One. I, I have to agree, and I think, um, you know, it, it's definitely going to be good for him. But, Elliot, you said to the point, you know, you can't just crash the cars. Um, and I, I, think, I think what Formula One does is say, hey, you guys can race. You know, if they tell Hamilton be a little less aggressive – they probably warn what Red Bull in as well. And if you know, if it happens again, especially between one of them, somebody's getting a big penalty out of it. I think it, it sends a message. I think last week in Austria sent some messages with the five second. This sends a little bit more um, and kind of reels people in. Um, we, we know Mercedes has had trouble this year and they've been more on the aggressive side. And I think you, you gotta be careful where that goes, but yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I'd like to see a spirited rivalry all the way to the end of the year. Um, and, and see it come down to the last race, just like, um, what happened in 76 with Hunt and Lada. So we will see. David, you make, a good, you, you make a good point, but I think there's there's a little bit of an assumption that's made there. Mm -hmm. And that assumption is that um, if they have an incident like this again, um, that 
like today, one driver makes it through relatively unscathed. It may, you know, and, and Ryan, to your point, um, you know, it took everything that Lewis Hamilton had in him and maybe a little more um, to keep from flying off into the tire barrier himself. So, um, you know, these, these drivers, yeah, you know, Verstappen, um, you know, he can't, you know, drive completely across, you know, one side of the track to the other as he, as I would argue he almost did today. Um, and, but at the same time, you can't have um, Hamilton um, or Verstappen, you know, either, you know, the scenario going either way, because, you know, these, these two drivers are pretty much almost evenly matched, I think. And you're going to see them in, you know, heated uh, battles for position in the race lead, arguably going forward. And you can't have them just, you know, going full send and, you know, expecting there not to be consequences for, for both drivers and not in terms of stewards in terms of physics. Yeah. Uh, Agreed. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see how the season goes. I know we got a couple weeks. We'll see what comes out of it. Um, You know, we got a couple weeks to digest. We'll see what happens and, you know, we'll see if cooler heads prevail or maybe not. (laughs) So it should be very interesting. Oh, I do have no trouble visioning that sometime in this uh, down period for the Olympics, both of those guys are probably going to be in the Formula One headquarters. They're going to look at them both and they're going to go, it's one thing to race competitively. It's a completely second thing to be doing it recklessly. Yeah. And both of you knuckleheads are t- tipping dangerously towards the reckless territory. Yeah. Dial it, it back. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yep. So with that said, it's been a, a great show. Um, we've, we're probably, we, we, I, I know we're trying to see if we can get a guest in this down period. Um, so if we're off for a, a week or so, um, now just remember it's the Olympics, but it's only two weeks and racing action will be back. So with that said, we thank you for all, for everyone listening. I do want to just add one thing, um, you know, racer.com, Robin Miller, um, has been bailing cancer and it looks like he's um, ending up with a very extended unknowing leave for right now. Um, it got announced um, probably last week. So our thoughts and prayers are with him to a, a fine journalist. So our thoughts and prayers are with him, but you know, we thank you for all of our listeners and all our supporters, and we'll catch you next time. And this is Elliot Tardif um, echoing David's thoughts, uh, uh, wishing the very best for uh, Robin Miller and his continued fight um, against cancer, and hopefully we'll see him back very soon. Um, but for now, thank you very much for listening uh, to episode number 23 of From Checker to Green. And we'll see you in episode number 24.
And this is Ryan Kolpak. Thank you to all who listen to our show. We very much appreciate you. And we look forward to giving you this more content in the future. Till then, we'll catch you at the next round. I'm David Mai. This is From Checker to Green. Thanks for listening to the Checkered to Green podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group, Checkered to Green podcast. Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checkered to Green podcast. (laughs) 